Hello, everybody. This podcast is a part of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network, and it's supported by Connexus. Savings, checkings, GIC, budget, RESP, RRSP, TFSA, mutual funds, credit score, emergency funds, variable versus fixed rates, compound interest, retirement, the list goes on and on. It's time to make sense of it all. At Connexus Credit Union, they want to help. Financial literacy is a critical life skill, giving you the knowledge and confidence to make smart, responsible decisions about your money. Visit ConnexusMoneyTalk.ca to find expert advice, tips, and solutions for all life stages and events, and increase your financial literacy knowledge and confidence today. mid-1960s in a smog-riddled industrial town in central England. A 17-year-old welder was on the last day of work at a sheet metal factory before he quit the blue-collar life to pursue a dream of rock and roll stardom. A young Tony Iommi was the guitarist in a band called the Birds and Bees, and they were set to go on their first tour outside of their native England and go across Europe. Tony just had to finish one last day at the factory before he cashed his ticket out of a life most of his friends would become destined for, a career in the steel mills. On his lunch break at home that day, he wondered aloud if he should bother going back and finishing his shift. What did he care? What were they going to do, fire him? But his mother quickly scolded him to go back and finish off the job properly. So after lunch, Tony reluctantly went back to the factory. With his mind focused elsewhere on the possibilities of rock stardom, Tony was told to go work this massive metal flattening machine for the first time. His co-worker who normally worked that machine was a no-show and there was no one else to do it. Just wanting to get through his last afternoon, Tony agreed to work this massive machine. It was early in the shift when the power of the machine caught him off guard. Tony had to push the metal into where it was being flattened, but what he didn't prepare for was the intense force of the press. As it came down, he flinched and tried desperately getting his right hand out of the way, but he wasn't quick enough. The press had caught the ends of his middle and ring fingers, and in the action of pulling his hand out of the way, completely severed the ends of those fingers. At the hospital, Tony received devastating news. The doctors told him they couldn't do anything about the fingers, and that he would never be able to take part in the biggest joy in his life at the time. Because Tony was a left-handed guitarist and used his right hand on the fretboard, his guitar-playing days were now over. Tony was shocked and went into a depression. His own efforts to play through the pain were fruitless. But it was a gift from his former manager at the factory that shifted his mindset. The manager brought him a Django Reinhardt EP, noting that the famed jazz guitarist became a legend on the instrument despite only having the use of two of his fingers. Feeling inspired, Tony created makeshift fingertips out of wax and leather. He could now play better, but the regular strings were an issue. To combat that, he invented light gauge strings and dropped his tuning so he could play his guitar easier. It had the added effect of making his guitar sound bigger because he needed to make up for the full chords he couldn't play anymore. Tony had to basically relearn the guitar from scratch. His makeshift fingertips meant he couldn't play fast music very well, and the loss of dexterity in his fingers meant he needed to make the most out of simple chord shapes. The combination led to an aggressive, raw, and fat sound. That invented sound would form the framework and signature for Tony's next band, Black Sabbath, and that invented sound is what some call the birth of a genre, heavy metal. Losing his fingertips was devastating, but in hindsight it created something new. It provided him with a whole new mindset, 
a whole new way to look at guitar playing. Tony created something new, something fresh, something good, out of what other people would say a tragedy. It's funny what life throws at people, the adversity people go through and how it cripples some and how it inspires others. How Tony could have looked at losing his fingers as a sign from God to quit his guitar playing and focus on something else. But instead, he looked at it as a new challenge to overcome. Well, that leads us to the story I want to tell in this podcast, how a young aspiring rapper suffered through multiple jaw surgeries and was told he would never speak the same again, never mind be able to rap again. The difference in this story is that a young Kanye West was already successful in the rap business, not as a rapper, but as a producer. How easy would it have been for Kanye to stick to behind the scenes, behind the mixing desk, and to stick to beat making? But that was never enough for a young, ambitious Kanye, and if Kanye was maybe a little bit more quote-unquote normal to stick to what he was good at, known for at the time, we never would have got one of the most influential albums, not only in hip-hop history, but in music history. It led to Kanye West's 2004 debut album, The College Dropout. Stories behind some of the most famous albums in music history. It's Beyond the Beat with Jared Lennon. With eyes drooping, machines beeping, tubes running, and barely being able to see, a 25-year-old Kanye West was awoken by the feeling of his jaw being shoved into the back of his mouth. Kanye's jaw was broken in three places, fractures ran up his nasal cavity, and he was now laying in a hospital bed. It was October 23rd, 2002, and it was only hours ago Kanye was finishing up a long night of beat making and producing at a Los Angeles studio. At around 3am, Kanye decided to call it a night, and drive his rented Lexus back to his hotel. The long exhaustive day at the studio had left Kanye drowsy, and in the middle of his drive, he fell asleep at the wheel and crashed into an oncoming vehicle. He was awoken by his jaw slamming into the steering wheel at 50 miles an hour. Dazed and confused with the aftermath of the chaos, Kanye sat in the driver's seat surrounded by broken glass and blood. In what was minutes, but felt like hours, shock gave way to extreme pain in his face as he witnessed in the mirror in real time, his face ballooning and transforming as if he was Teen Wolf. Finally, paramedics and police arrived, but instead of getting him into an ambulance and into treatment as soon as possible, they insisted on testing Kanye to see if there's any alcohol in his system. The first tests even came back negative, but they weren't convinced. As the pain got more extreme by the minute, Kanye got irritated and felt like he was being racially profiled and harassed. Finding it hard to breathe, gagging on blood, Kanye kept asking for a hospital. Finally, after three or four tests, they got a neck brace on him and paramedics put him on a stretcher. And what seems like a scene straight out of something about Mary, what did they do? They dropped the stretcher and dropped Kanye on his head and on his jaw that had already suffered the trauma of a car accident. Kanye West had just got his big break two weeks prior to the accident. He had signed a record contract with Rockefeller Records as a rapper. It was his chance to make a mark as a star instead of just a producer. His dreams were coming true before it all seemed to shatter in front of him. His career seemed to be over by a simple mistake over the span of just a few seconds, falling asleep at the wheel. 
At the hospital, Kanye's life was truly in jeopardy, but through an emergency surgery where doctors installed a metal plate into his chin, it looked like he'd make it through. Kanye later said that the following two or three days were the most painful in his life. He was also terrified about complications with his further surgeries, hearing of people dying in the past, especially when it came to his breathing. The doctors wired his jaw shut so it would heal, but it turned out they wired it wrong the first time around, so they had to re-break his jaw again and put it in the right place. For weeks after, Kanye would try to communicate and talk, and his nose would start randomly bleeding, or he'd start choking because his spit would go down his airway. His mom went to visit him, but didn't even recognize him because his face was so swollen. Kanye's rap career he had worked so hard to get at didn't look promising, but it was one song over a CD player while Kanye was lying in the hospital bed that kicked him out of the depressive state he was in. It was Chaka Khan's Through the Fire. He was lying back when he heard her voice melodically singing the line, right down to the wire, even through the fire. It sparked something in Kanye's head and gave him a new perspective. Maybe he could gain something from the accident and use it as a rebirth. Finally, he had a form of street cred, something he could rap about, something painful that could be transformed into expressive force. Kanye looked at surviving the accident like a second chance and saw how fleeting this life can really be. It was almost like he was on borrowed time now, so why not commit 100% to your dream? Years later, Kanye spoke about the epiphany in an interview, saying, quote, The accident gave me the opportunity to do what I really wanted to do. I was a music producer, and everyone was telling me that I had no business becoming a rapper. So it gave me the opportunity to tell everyone, hey, I need some time to recover. But during that recovery period, I just spent all my time honing my craft and making the college dropout. Without that period, there would have been so many phone calls and so many people putting pressure on me from every direction. So many people I somehow owed something to, and I would have never had the time to do what I wanted to do. And so with Chaka Khan's Through the Fire, the catalyst for this new train of thought, Kanye decided he was going to give it all to rap. He could use that very song, sample it for a new track, to write about the accident and describe what he was going through. And that's where the first single off of College Dropout, the song that put Kanye on the map, was born. It was Through the Wire. Amid the whirlwind of activity lying in the hospital bed, Kanye brainstormed ideas for a potential future album and wrote about his recent experiences and struggles. To prove he meant business, it would only be two weeks after the accident when he would record it, even though his jaw was still wired shut. He had to take pain medications between takes just to complete the song. In an interview, Kanye explained the reason why he didn't waste any time to record, saying, quote, I feel like even if the song didn't blow up, that once other songs did blow up, which I knew they would, people would just look back and say, man, do you remember his first song he recorded with his mouth wired shut? It was a daring choice for Through the Wire to be the song to introduce Kanye to the masses. It's about hope and gratitude as well as his personal horror story. There's so many Superman-type rappers, but Through the Wire is Kanye at his most vulnerable. You hear his new appreciation for life in the lyrics, but also mixed with Kanye's unique humor that makes the song so memorable, never mind the great pictures he paints in the listener's mind with the struggle of his recovery. The song opens with, I drink a boost for breakfast, an insure for dessert, somebody ordered pancakes, I just sipped a scissorp. That right there could drive a sane man bizerk. Not to worry, Mr. H to the Izzo's back to Wizerk. How do you console my mum or give her light support, telling her sons on life support? And just imagine how my girl feel 
on the plane, scared as hell that a guy looked like Emmett Till. That line right there shows the charm of Kanye early in his career. It's the mix of his humor and lightheartedness over heartbreaking themes. Of course, Emmett Till was the black teenager who was brutally murdered in 1955 for whistling at a white woman. So you have that and heavy themes like Kanye almost losing his life over what initially comes off as a happy-sounding track, joking about only being able to drink insure and pancake syrup because he can't chew any food after all the facial damage. In the second verse, Kanye raps about his story right up until the accident, getting signed to Rockefeller Records as a socially conscious rapper instead of a street rapper, which was the going trend at the time. What if somebody from the shy that was ill got a deal on the hottest rap label around, but he wasn't talking about coke and birds, it was more like spoken word, except he's really putting it down, and he explained the story about how blacks came from glory, and what we need to do in the game. Good dude, bad nights, right place, wrong time. In the blink of an eye, his whole life changed. If you could feel how my face felt, you would know how Mace felt. Thank God I ain't too cool for the safe belt. The line about Mace refers to the rapper also breaking his jaw after getting in a brawl. In the final line of the second verse, you hear Kanye summing up his current situation perfectly. I'm a champion, so I turn tragedy to triumph. Make music that's fire, spit my soul through the wire. In the chorus, you hear Shaka Khan's original Through the Fire pitch shifted and sped up to create the classic chipmunk soul sound Kanye made so popular. Kanye plays on the original meaning of the song, replacing the romantic interest in Shaka Khan's version to mean Kanye's ambition and aspirations for success. The lyrics in the hook are, Through the fire, to the limit, to the wall. For a chance to be with you, I'd gladly risk it all. It's almost an ethos for the whole college dropout record, Kanye claiming that he's in all or nothing when it comes to his art. Shaka Khan would later give in an interview saying she didn't like the chipmunk version of her song being used, saying, quote, He called me when he just got out of the hospital. He said, You were so instrumental in my healing process. I changed the words a little bit to the song, but I had to eat through a wire. Jaws wired shut through a straw. It meant that much to me. It really got my heart, tugged at my strings. I was like, yeah, use it. Then when it came out, I was pissed. It was a little insulting. Not insulting, I thought it was stupid. If I'd known he was going to do that, I would have said hell no. Kanye would first release Through the Wire on his Get Well Soon mixtape in late 2002. Rockefeller didn't think Kanye was ready for a release at the time. They didn't want to take a chance on someone who would lose the money. But Kanye wanted to build some hype around his name as a rapper before he officially put out his first album. So he had to pay out of his own pocket to promote the mixtape and Through the Fire as a single, going to different radio stations and clubs in different cities. His efforts paid off and eventually people started paying attention. The music video featured a slideshow of videos and pictures of Kanye producing and his accidents seen through frames of Polaroid pictures. Because he was successful as a producer, Kanye was able to finance the $40,000 video himself, inspired by an Adidas advertisement in Black Book magazine. The director of the video, Cootie, was at the video's premiere party at the 4040 Club in New York and remembered the industry types starting to take Kanye seriously from that moment on. They were impressed by Through the Wire as a song, impressed that this producer could actually make his own rap track, and impressed with the video. It forced Rockefeller's hand to take him seriously. 
To make it more audible, he'd re-record the vocals for the college dropout version once his jaw had healed more, released officially as a single in the fall of 2003, peaking at number 15 on the Hot 100. In an interview soon after the release of College Dropout, Kanye talked about the importance of Through the Wire, saying, quote, Well, the only thing this accident is saying is, I'm about to hand you the world, just know at any given time, I can take it away from you. To nearly lose your life, to nearly lose your mouth, your voice, your whole face, as a rapper, and I had to be on TV, my face looks crazy to me now, but I have to just thank God for the situation that I'm in. Through the Wire is the worst thing that could have possibly happened to me, and now it's obviously the best thing. Look how it exploded. Kanye West was born in June of 1977 in Atlanta, Georgia. After his parents' divorce when he was three, Kanye moved to a South Chicago suburb with his mom. Kanye enjoyed an intellectually stimulating and middle-class upbringing as the only child of an English literature professor mother and an award-winning photojournalist and Black Panther member father. Kanye benefited from endless encouragement from both his parents, telling him he really could do anything. Two things were apparent about Kanye from a very young age, his confident disposition and a strong interest in the arts, with an arts-focused elementary school only expanding his creativity. In an interview, his father has talked about him saying, quote, He was always quite the character, lots of energy, quick endearing smile. You could really see a certain confidence with himself. His mom added, quote, He wasn't the greatest at playing with others because he always had to be the leader, always wanted things to go his way. At age 12, Kanye received his first keyboard, leading him to soon proclaim that he wanted to be a music producer and rapper. At 14, a friend who noticed his interest in music making showed him the art of taking a chunk of an established song and reusing it in another recording, aka sampling. It opened up a whole new world where it helped Kanye put down the music he was hearing in his head. Finally, Kanye felt like he found his niche in music, I would now spend every spare minute sampling and learning to make beats. When he was 15, his mom thought it would be a good idea to introduce Kanye to one of her friend's kids who happened to be a music producer, a man who would become a mentor to a young Kanye. His name was Dion Wilson, aka No ID. By this time, No ID had already produced songs that were getting radio play in the Chicago hip-hop scene, producing Common and Syndicate, among others. Kanye was enthralled with them, and made it his goal to produce music as good as his. Through his mentorship with No ID and his intense work ethic, Kanye soon began making a name for himself as this local high school kid selling beats for 50 bucks a pop to local MCs. After graduating from high school, Kanye, who also excelled at painting, got a scholarship to go to Chicago's American Academy of Art in 1997. He soon transferred to Chicago State University to study English, where his mother was a professor. During this time, Kanye continued pursuing music, forming the rap group The Go-Getters, where he both rapped and produced. As Kanye would later say, he was still self-aware that his production skills were better than his microphone abilities, saying, quote, I'm always rapping. I had groups and I was always the weakest rapper out of all the people in the group. It would always be like someone who didn't really have it, but someone who had a passion for it. But I had it every night. Every night I was working, there wasn't nothing that was going to stop me. It was in 1998 where Kanye got his big break in his production career, having one of his beats used by Jermaine Dupri in his song Turn It Out. 
It got Kanye exposed to the big leagues in the record industry and a meeting with Columbia Records in New York. Kanye was so convinced it would lead to a record deal that he dropped out of college. During the meeting with Columbia, Kanye, already showing signs of his confident self, professed to then-president Mike Maldine that he would be bigger than Michael Jackson, bigger than Jermaine Dupri. Little did Kanye know that Jermaine Dupri's real last name was Maldine, and that his dad was who he was talking to, the president of Columbia. Kanye never got a call back. He used the setback as fuel to dive deeper into his production. He was more determined as ever, continuing to sell beats for 500 to 1500 bucks. He ghost wrote for bigger producers and ran his own small production company. He realized his big break wasn't going to come in Chicago and that all the big acts were in LA or New York. He'd finally take a big risk and move away from home to be closer to the heart of the rap industry. Through No ID, Kanye connected with Kiambo Joshua, aka Hip Hop, an A&R rep at Rockefeller Records. Hip Hop used one of Kanye's beats for a Rockefeller artist, and it started a relationship between the label and Kanye as a producer. It wasn't long after when a chance encounter at New York's Baseline Studios led to another big opportunity for Kanye. He happened to swing by the studio one night to drop off a CD of Beats. A certain hot rapper at the time by the name of Jay-Z happened to be there as well, working on a new album. Kanye had a small relationship with Jay by this time, Jay having used one of Kanye's beats for his Dynasty album, but they were far from friends or partners yet. Seeing Kanye come into the studio with fresh beats, Jay asked him if he could hear what he had going on. Kanye played it for him, and it immediately got Jay's attention with its unique style. Kanye had been building up this set of beats for a while that sampled old soul records. Two weeks later, Jay-Z's Blueprint album was finished with five of his 13 songs featuring Kanye's beats. It turned into Jay-Z's seminal album, a bonafide hip-hop classic, including Jay's first top 10 song on one of Kanye's beats, Izzo. Kanye's production style came to be known as Chipmunk Soul, utilizing pitched-up soul samples. Many of rap's greatest dynasties marched to the beat of his signature sound. Def Jam's ascension in the mid-80s featured a stripped-down style that helped set up Run DMC, LL Cool J, and the Beastie Boys onto the path of greatness. During the early to mid-90s, the Death Row empire was backed by Dr. Dre's G-Funk sound, but it was Jay-Z's blueprint that ushered in the era of chipmunk soul, largely thanks to two producers, Just Blaze and Kanye West. I briefly mentioned it with Through the Wire, one of the songs that has come to define the chipmunk sound. Kanye took inspiration for a lot of his production techniques from RZA and the Wu-Tang Clan. It came out of the simple fact that old soul in R&B is typically slower than rap. Artists who wanted to get soul samples up to an appropriate speed had to distort the sample and render it high-pitched. By the late 90s, technology made it possible to use those samples without distortion. It's a great way to make a song memorable. It stands out by design. Craig Bauer, the owner of Chicago's Hinge Studios, where Kanye had worked in his early years, has said that Kanye always knew the sound he wanted and was always striving to make his beats sound like no one else's. He would lift samples and manipulate them, twist them around, turn them up an octave, until he got something fresh out of something that was made 20 or 30 years ago. He never wanted to be like someone else. Kanye talked about it in an interview, saying, quote, I feel like a lot of the soul that's in those old records that I sample is in me. So when I hear them, I put them with the drums and I bring them to the new millennium. 
It took a while for Kanye to get respect and success with his production style. He was being labeled at one point in the rap industry as a poor man's just blaze. But his name next to Jay-Z's on the blueprint let everyone know that Kanye was for real and a force to be reckoned with. Every major hip-hop artist would soon be requesting Kanye's production skills. During 2001 to 2004, he produced for Nas, Alicia Keys, John Legend, Mob Deep, Ludacris, Lil' Kim, T.I., Twista, DMX, Cameron, Scarface, Janet Jackson, and many more. While many people would be satisfied being a successful producer, Kanye still insisted that he was a rapper first and a producer second. He'd rap and play his demos to anyone that listened. People would indulge him because they wanted his beats, but no one really took him seriously as a rapper, largely because of his suburban middle-class background and his clean-cut personality that clashed with the thug street style popular in mainstream hip-hop at the time. Kanye does a great job laying out his path to the college dropout in the final song of the record titled Last Call. Last Call is a little indulgent, a 12-minute finisher to the college dropout, but Kanye's very lucid on it, with most of it Kanye just talking instead of rapping. He's very gracious, but goes through the struggles he experienced trying to cement himself as a rapper instead of just a producer. During the start of the speaking part, Kanye outlines how he got connected with Rockefeller. So this A&R over at Rockefeller named Hip Hop picked the truth beat for Beanie, and I was in the session with him. I had my demo with me, you know, like I always do. I play the songs, he's like, who's that spitting? I'm like, it's me. He's like, oh, well, okay. Uh, he started talking to me on the phone, going back and forth, just asking me to send him beats, and I'm thinking he's trying to get into managing producers, because he had this other kid named Just Blaze he was messing with. And um, he was friends with my mentor, No ID, and No ID told him, look, man, you want to mess with Kanye, you need to tell him that you like the way he rap. Kanye kept leveraging his success as a producer at this time to meet with record labels, but not many were taking him seriously. Rapper Hot Carl recounts an instance where Kanye acted out and mouthed the lyrics to an early version of Jesus Walks to a room full of A&R reps and industry types, saying, quote, He acted as if the music video was always being filmed around him, displaying yet another example of the unaware enthusiasm and egotism that would make him the butt of almost every joke at baseline. The song ended, some people shared some positive but subdued comments, and Kanye left for the kitchen. A few seconds passed before the entire room erupted in laughter. A few people even mocked him, mimicking his rap voice and making fun of the over-the-top zeal. One major producer in the room even asked his assistant to make sure Kanye never performed like that again. Kanye's will and belief in himself was stronger than the rejection he was getting by the music industry. He used all of it as fuel. As Kanye says, 10% of life is what happens, and 90% is how you react to it. He always looked at this struggle as a glass-half-full situation. Finally, after hearing about a deal falling through with Capitol Records at the 11th hour, Dame Dash, co-owner of Rockefeller, decided to pull the trigger and sign Kanye. He was impressed with Kanye's recent songs, and if anything else, could load his songs with guest features from established Rockefeller artists. On August 3rd, 2002, he was officially signed and finally achieved the dream he'd had since the third grade. Kanye began at once on his debut album, pouring everything he had into it. Unfortunately for Kanye, it became more apparent that the deal was more about securing Kanye's beats than utilizing his rapping skills. It would only be a few months later where Kanye got in his car accident and where it wasn't even apparent Kanye could talk again, let alone rap. But of course, not only could he rap, 
It was only two weeks later Through the Wire was recorded, and it was the catalyst to get him to go all in on his dream. As Kanye raps in Last Call, starting out in the third person, he used the critics as fuel. Some say he arrogant. Can y'all blame him? It was straight embarrassing how y'all played him. Last year, shopping my demo, I was trying to shine. Every motherfucker told me I couldn't rhyme. Now I could let these dream killers kill my self-esteem or use my arrogance as the steam to power my dreams. I use it as my gas, so they say that I'm gassed. But without it, I'd be last, so I ought to laugh. When Kanye got in his accident, it shifted his mindset. It gave him a singular focus, a determination to break the producer can't rap sentiment. Having worked on Jay-Z's The Blueprint album, many people were wondering why Kanye couldn't just enjoy the spoils of being a sought-after producer. But Kanye felt he had a message to communicate, a message of self-empowerment, as he said on MTV's Life and Rhymes series, saying, quote, That was my whole claim to fame. I was Mr. H to the Izzo. For a person as confident as me to have your claim to fame based on someone else's name, it's not where I wanted to be for my entire life. People, they used to always say, what more could you want in life? I mean, you're a producer. You produce for the number one artist in the world. What more could you want? I want to be an artist. You could see them like bust out laughing. I'm not stepping on the court just to make it to the playoffs. I'm trying to leave with a trophy. The thing with Kanye is he had so much experience to draw from when it came to getting out of a situation he wasn't satisfied in. And that takes us to early in the album and a song titled Spaceship. The lyrics in the chorus go back to a time in Kanye's life where he felt stuck, felt burdened by a dead-end job that wasn't right for him, working at the Gap in Chicago as a teen. He sings in the chorus, I've been working this grave shift and I ain't made shit. I wish I could buy me a spaceship and fly past the sky. Spaceship uses Distant Lover by Marvin Gaye as a sample. It's weird on the outset to use a romantic song in the line, Heaven Knows That I Long For You Every Night, of course, with the chipmunk technique applied to it, but it's like he's tying in the religious elements of college dropout to what Spaceship is really about. Spaceship is preceded on the album by a quick song, I'll Fly Away, a popular gospel song literally about going to heaven. After Spaceship, you get Jesus Walks. Not hard to understand what that's about, but I'll get into that later. But he's tying religion into Spaceship with the use of the Marvin Gaye line, Heaven Knows, while also being vague enough that it applies to Spaceship, longing to achieve your dreams. Getting out of a situation you felt stuck in, whether it's a dead-end job like what the gap was for Kanye as a kid, or feeling stuck labeled as just a producer. In the first verse, he writes, Let's go back, back to the gap. Look at my check, wasn't no scratch. So if I stole, wasn't my fault. Yeah, I stole, never got caught. Kanye couldn't make the money he wanted while working at the Gap, so he took matters into his own hands and stole some clothes. It's a common theme in Kanye's music, like he's relating his situation to what many black Americans living in poverty feel like. Not judging them, but seeing things from their perspective, how they see racism and prejudice, and default to crime as the only way to make a living. Later in the track, he raps about his headspace while working at the Gap, smoking weed and dreaming of becoming a rapper, writing his future songs in his head. I'm on break, next to the no smoking sign with a blunt in the mall, taking my hits, writing my hits, writing my rhymes, playing my mind. This fucking job can't help him, so I quit. Y'all welcome, y'all don't know my struggle, y'all can't match my hustle. This is Kanye at his most relatable, and probably why College Dropout was so successful. Everyone's been stuck in a shitty situation they felt trapped in. Kanye had plenty in common to the well-known hip-hop story of a young black male working from the working-class neighborhood in Chicago he grew up in to being a product of a single-parent home. 
The difference with him is that he wasn't escaping the ghetto, he was escaping the working class. And so Spaceship is a look into Kanye's personality. That ambition and drive, some would say arrogance, helped propel him out of that hospital bed and back into the studio. He believed in himself and didn't waver from his rap dream. Spaceship has features from three other artists, GLC, Consequence, and Tony Williams. GLC was another rapper from Chicago and in his verse, writes in a similar vein to what Kanye was getting at, rapping about working at a clothing store, pursuing a rap dream but not getting anywhere. Spaceship was actually originally GLC's song, but got Kanye to produce a beat for his verse. GLC and Kanye were old friends from Chicago, growing up together with the same rap dream. GLC was still living in Chicago around 2003, visiting Kanye in New York, and he did in fact just quit his job. The day he wrote his verse, he had a heated conversation on the phone with his ex-girlfriend about not being signed to a record label yet. GLC took Kanye's advice that day to do the same thing he did, move to New York. It follows the song Sentiment about wanting some sort of spaceship to get them out of that situation. Consequence also appears on Spaceship. He was cousins with rapper Q-Tip, a member of a tribe called Quest, and heavily featured on the critically acclaimed 1996 album Beat Rhymes Life. Consequence hadn't done much in the meantime, and he credits Kanye with helping him getting out of that funk. Spaceship was originally supposed to be the sixth and final single from College Dropout, and a music video was even made, but those plans were cancelled. Rockefeller wanted to move on from College Dropout by this time and start promoting Kanye's next album, Late Registration. The video stars Kanye as a worker in a mall, with GLC playing the role of co-worker and Consequence a customer. In June of 2020, Kanye posted the video on his website. In celebration of the announcement of his clothing brand Yeezy's 10-year collaboration deal with The Gap. Listening to the college dropout today, it might not seem revolutionary, but at the time, what Kanye pulled off was incredible. He broke the mold of the classic drug-dealing persona and southern crunk and hip-hop. Rather than hiding his middle-class background, he embraced it and used it to his advantage to be more relatable. He was the first spokesman for the African-American suburban population, addressing themes like the false security of college, 9-to-5 jobs, God, and materialism. He made it okay to talk about clothes and God in the same song. Just a year before Kanye dropped his debut, 50 Cent came out with his monster debut, Get Rich or Die Tryin'. It felt like rappers either had to be chiseled gangsters like 50 Cent or Cameron, or backpackers like Tlaib Kweli or Common. But with college dropouts, Kanye was able to bridge a gap that spoke to all hip-hop fans. In an interview, No ID talked about seeing Kanye in the hospital for the first time after his accident and how it seemed to make Kanye very clear on the direction he needed to go with his album, saying, quote, I was like, what did you figure out? He said, I'm going to rap about this accident. I'm going to use a song and change the direction. I'm going conscious with my music. In my mind, actually not even in my mind, I may have said, but you're not conscious. How are you going to do that? He's like, nah, trust me. This is going to be my direction. I know how I'm going to do it. I got it now. I figured it out. I think from there, the college dropout concept took a better form because he let go of the gangsta persona and formed a good concept. Before that, he would wrestle ideas, try to make it all line up, but it wouldn't make sense. I think that was the moment when he put all the pieces of the puzzle together and the idea of college dropout made sense. Through the Wire helped break that open for Kanye when it was released in 2003. Up until that point, nothing in commercial rap had managed to combine that vulnerability, that non-violent real-life experience, and expressive sampling. Kanye seamlessly introduced new elements to both rapping and hip-hop sound production. 
What's crazy about College Dropout is that most of it was recorded in his apartment in New Jersey. Kanye was recovering from the car accident and dove headfirst into his work. It was a two-bedroom apartment, he had the studio, and then he had his bedroom, sometimes even getting up in the middle of the night in a sudden burst of inspiration to spit a verse. Through the Wire was the first single off of College Dropout and therefore got a lot of people to buy the album. Once people put in the CD, the rest of the album picked up where Through the Wire left off, with the very first track titled We Don't Care. Rapper GLC talked about We Don't Care in an interview, saying, quote, People look at him as a backpack positive rapper. He got the hood involved. Nobody ever would have thought Kanye West's first song on his album would be drug dealing just to get by. For a lot of us, this is our only way out that we know. He was thinking how he could put that into writing, into music, and still be Kanye. If you listen to the song, it's still conscious though. It was a celebration of the ghetto. Before We Don't Care, the album starts with a little skit, an intro. Professor Ray Ray the Hustle Guy asks Kanye to compose a positive song for the kids. Kanye then responds sarcastically as GLC says, with the chorus hook line, Drug dealing just to get by, stack your money till it gets sky high. We wasn't supposed to make it past 25, jokes on you, we still alive. Throw your hands up in the sky and say we don't care what people say. As GLC said, a song about drug dealing was not typical for a rapper like Kanye. He was the conscious rapper guy, but what he did with We Don't Care was smart, like I said, bridging the gap for different hip-hop fans. In an interview, Kanye talked about being deliberate with his songs, having a universal appeal, saying, quote, I rap in such a way where the hood can respect it, but I can sit right in front of a white executive and spit the exact same verse, and he'll understand at least 80% of it. It's harder to come up with simple lyrics. Those complicated lyrics? Get that out of here, man. The simple stuff is the hardest. I'll take opinions from anyone from Jay-Z to a janitor, and I might value the janitor's opinion more. I want it so no one can front on it. And we don't care, he's not glorifying drug dealing. It's a great opener for the album's theme of not caring about societal norms on things such as education, drug dealing, and music. Not letting society tell you this is what you have to do. It's about trying to make the best out of your situation and giving people a glimpse of the lack of options that ambitious people growing up in ghettos have. In the first verse, he raps, We never had nothing handed, took nothing for granted, took nothing from no man, Man, I'm my own man, but as a shorty, I looked up to the dope man. Only adult man I knew that wasn't broke, man. And later, sitting in the hood like community colleges, this dope money here is Lil Trey's scholarship. It's a challenging first verse on the first song of the album, but he's not laying blame on anyone, especially with the happier sounding music in the background. He's inviting people in and giving people an understanding of why people living in the hood do what they do. While the first verse celebrates dealing drugs out of desperation, the second verse is about regular workers who still need to sell drugs part-time to get by. We claim other people's kids on our income tax, we take that money, cop work, then push packs to get paid. Work meaning a large quantity of drugs, and pushing packs meaning selling prepackaged smaller quantities of drugs to make money. In the third verse, he writes about the contradictions people in the ghetto see growing up, when all the drug dealers are making more money than the teachers telling them they need to stay in school. He ends the last verse encapsulating the whole song. I'm trying to get the car with the chromey wheels here. They trying to cut our lights out like we don't live here. Look what was handed us. Fathers abandoned us. When we get them hammers, go on, call the ambulance. Sometimes I feel no one in this world understands us, but we don't care what people say. 
We Don't Care pays tribute to all the people in poverty forced to participate in the drug culture, but he doesn't celebrate it without explaining the pitfalls of that lifestyle. In the chorus, he paints a great picture with the line about stacking your money sky high wasn't supposed to make it past 25. Like he's explaining how some people almost want drug dealers to die as proof of the negative stereotypes. But it's Kanye mostly celebrating hustle and ambition. And you get a glimpse into his humor and sarcasm too, having a kid's choir sing along with him about drug dealing just to get by. And also playing on the hip-hop classic throw your hands in the air party routine. But Kanye uses it as a rejection of what society deems as good in college and what's bad, drug dealing. There's a documentary following the making of Jay-Z's 2003 Black album where you get a glimpse into Kanye's mindset about building the framework of an album. Kanye is in the studio at the time producing Jay's song Lucifer and he's explaining to Jay about how albums are like movies and the songs within them are like scenes. The songs need to craft an overarching theme and narrative to the album. College Dropout isn't as obvious in that vein as some of Kanye's later albums like My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, but it does follow a storyline if you look deeper into it. College Dropout could be crafted into three different sections, the first act being an ascendance of Kanye, coming up from Chicago with dreams of being a rap superstar, the second act more trivial, with Kanye imagining his life as a celebrity, the third act, Kanye coming into his own and knowing exactly what he wants to do with his career. All with an overarching theme saying that if you work hard enough and have enough ambition, you can achieve your dreams. We Don't Care opens up the album with a song about drug dealing out of desperation. The next song on the album, following the narrative, is a sort of a welcome into real life problems. It was released as the third single off of College Dropout, one of Kanye's biggest hits, It's All Falls Down. With All Falls Down, Kanye is very introspective with his own insecurities, but does it in this intelligent way of shining a light of these imperfections with society, mainly materialism. Kanye opens up the first verse referring to a woman, rapping, Man, I promise, she's so self-conscious. She has no idea what she's doing in college. That major that she majored in don't make no money, but she won't drop out. Her parents will look at her funny. Kanye relates to that internal struggle of trying to keep up with the appearances externally of what other people think of you, whether it's going to college for a degree you don't want, or whether it's keeping up with the Joneses, buying things he can't afford, as he raps later in the verse. Couldn't afford a car, so she named her daughter Alexis. She had hair so long that it looked like weave, then she cut it all off, now she looked like Eve. And she'd be dealing with some issues that you can't believe, single black female addicted to retail. The second verse is about his own insecurities, admitting he's part of the consumerism culture chasing the American dream, but he's not proud of it. He dreams of being wealthy, but realizes it often takes a person being ruthless and will ultimately leave him unfulfilled, with, It seems we live in the American dream, but the people highest up got the lowest self-esteem. The prettiest people do the ugliest things for the road to riches and diamond rings. We shine because they hate us, floss because they degrade us, we're trying to buy back our 40 acres. Kanye ties the materialistic theme into the plight of African Americans. 40 acres and a mule was the promise of compensation made to freed slaves after the Civil War. Most of those promises were broken, so Kanye is saying that he has to be materialistic to get the socioeconomic benefits his ancestors were promised but never received. Kanye then ends by recognizing he's submitted to this lifestyle, but also knows that it's not just him, with... Got a problem with spending before I get it. We all self-conscious. I'm just the first to admit it. 
Kanye actually wrote All Falls Down in a 15-minute burst of inspiration one day. He was listening to the rap group Dead Prez and was inspired by the way they could write cool songs, but with a message. In an interview, he talked about the song, originally titled Self-Conscious, and his approach to hip-hop in general, saying, quote, Rap has always had this premise that if you didn't do it, you can't rap about it. I'm more of a writer or poet than a rapper. A rapper is all about image. Being a writer, I have the right to be a person. He goes on to say, quote, I like to educate people. I like to be the one that can reach people who don't like to pick up a book. I like to say something that might change someone's life. All Falls Down samples a Lauren Hill song off her MTV Unplugged album called The Mystery of Iniquity. Kanye wasn't able to secure a direct sample from Lauren, so instead used fellow Chicago artist Selena Johnson to sing the chorus off of Lauren's song. The hook is simple, using Lauren's lyrics, Oh, when it all, it all falls down, I'm telling you all, it all falls down. It's encouraging people to think about what life would be like without material possessions, success, and all these external aspects. What will it feel like when it all falls down? Because one day, it will. All Falls Down was released as a single in February 2004. It entered the UK singles chart at number 10 and peaked at number 7 on the Hot 100 in May that year, Kanye's first top 10 in America. The unique music video got a lot of play on MTV, featuring Kanye in a first-person perspective, accompanying his girlfriend to the airport to catch her flight. All Falls Down wasn't the only track off of College Dropout where you see a self-aware Kanye rapping about his internal struggle of being socially conscious but materialistic at the same time. Breathe In, Breathe Out, although not nearly as memorable, follows heavily along the same lines. Instead of rapping about the world around him, Kanye writes about being unable to help himself and raps about fame and wealth. And if we look at College Dropout from a narrative perspective, Breathe In being smack dab in the middle of the album, the 13th track, you could look at it as Kanye imagining his material wealth once he makes it as a rap superstar. He raps, first N-word with a Benz in a backpack, ice chain, Cardi lens, and a knapsack. Always said if I rapped, I'd say something significant, but now I'm rapping about money hoes and rims again. Kanye literally spends the rest of the song rapping about money, hoes, and rims in that order. The rest of the first verse is devoted to material wealth and consumption, the second verse is about trying to seduce women, and the third uses car-related wordplay. Breathe In, Breathe Out is a largely forgettable song, but maybe the biggest part of its importance on the album is its feature. Ludacris was a huge star at the time and sings the chorus. The story goes that Ludacris was a big fan of Kanye's production, and Kanye knew it, so they made a deal. Ludacris would sing the chorus of Breathe In, Breathe Out for free, and in return, Kanye would give up three of his much-sought-after beats for free, one of which turned into Ludacris's first number one single, Stand Up. In hindsight, it might look like Ludacris got the best of that deal, but just having Ludacris's name on the album gave College Dropout a lot of credibility. It also marked a time in hip-hop history where the line between mainstream and underground was disappearing. For Ludacris and Jay-Z to be rapping with this producer no one really heard of with a weird personal rap style, it was just unheard of at the time. Breathe In, Breathe Out also features some of Kanye's most hilarious lines with, Now even though I went to college and I dropped out of school quick, I always had a PhD, a pretty huge dick. Ladies tired of getting ripped off by guys like this, and given head is like a whale that's using a toothpick. Part of the charm of College Dropout is the tightrope balancing act of all the contradictions. Decrying materialism and all falls down, but celebrating stacking your money sky high on We Don't Care. 
rapping about how iced out he is and all the women he gets and breathe and breathe out, but expressing self-deprecating and from-the-heart feelings about the world and where it's gone wrong in other songs. But it doesn't come off as dishonest anything but. It's an authentic look into a complicated man, completely relatable, like you're having a heart-to-heart conversation with a friend. So on the outset, it's odd to hear that an album could say make it cool to be socially conscious, yet be so hilarious at the same time. I think that's what made Kanye so popular. He's not taking his music too seriously and not afraid to make fun of himself in the early part of his career. He rhymes with conviction and then steps back and laughs at himself. Look at how ridiculous a song is like the new workout plan, for example. It's basically just a long-form skit with a good melody. The lyrics are voiced from the point of view of different girls reacting to a fake workout video. Kanye explains testimonials from women who have successfully undergone the workout plan and have been able to, quote, pull you a rapper, an NBA player, man, at least a dude with a car, thanks to being in shape. It's ridiculous and silly, but a fun song, and of course there's a message in it if you look past the surface level. The new workout plan speaks to all the pressures put on women by men. It's a satire of workout mixtapes. Kanye talks about how women are only valued for their bodies. In an interview, Kanye talked about that juxtaposition between the humor and deep issues that flavor his music, saying, quote, I'm a representation of real people. I speak for what everyday people go through. I'm like a class clown, too. I compare my style a lot to Dave Chappelle, but I bring up really serious issues that I might cover up with a joke so that we laugh to keep from crying. The new workout plan was the fifth and final single off of College Dropout, released in August of 2004. The music video featured Kanye instructing women in a 1980s-era parody workout video. It featured numerous cameos from other singers and rappers on the album, but also model Anna Nicole Smith, who gave the video some credibility with her star power at the time. One of the big critiques off of College Dropout is its numerous skits. Yeah, the album's a bit bogged down by the skits. It makes it hard to re-listen to the album from front to back, but its padded track list doesn't diminish College Dropout's greatness. Plus, the skits are funny as hell. The opening track intro skit features DeRay Davis impersonating Bertie Mac as a school administrator, asking Kanye, think you could probably do something for the kids for graduation to sing? Starting off a major theme of college on the album. Kanye follows it up with the song We Don't Care, singing drug dealing just to get by. And then the Bernie Mac character comes back in in the second skit, Graduation Day, saying, What in the fuck was that, Kanye? Telling Kanye, You throw your motherfucking hands in the air and wave goodbye to every motherfucking body, because you getting the fuck out of this campus. What the fuck you gonna do now, Kanye? The next skit is the 10th track on the album, sort of an intro to the new workout plan titled Workout Plan. It's basically just a bunch of girls talking about this new type of diet and exercise program that will give them a, quote, six-pack Shakur, obviously a play on the rapper Tupac Shakur. DeRay Davis then comes back as an extremely sarcastic new character for the intro and outro skits for a song called School Spirit. It's a satire on the American educational system saying... Now you'll get that $25,000 job a year and you'll spend all your money on crack cocaine, but it'll be your money. And later on, no, I've never had sex, but you know what? My degree keeps me satisfied. And then in School Spirit Skit 2, because when I die, buddy, you know what's going to keep me warm? That's right, those degrees. School Spirit Skit 2 is then followed by another skit, the last skit on the album titled Lil Jimmy, where the son of the character from School Spirit talks about his life, how his dad has died, but left him with all his father's degrees. 
I'm going to get super smart so I too can die without money, but I'll be the smartest dead guy. It's actually kind of dark, but a look at Kanye's mindset and how he viewed the world at the time after dropping out of college. Dropping out of college is a main part of the album, but it's only a micro example of the major overall theme of the record, ambition. Kanye writes about achieving your dreams through drive and ambition through his own example of carving his own path. He didn't take the road well-traveled, the preconceived notion that you work your way up through the American education system, get your college degree, and you've made it. As we've already heard, that's just not reality. Life's not that simple, and Kanye exposes alternative paths to success. If we look at the songs on College Dropout like movie scenes and separate it into three acts, it stays true to that motif. Dreaming of superstardom as a kid in Chicago, the more trivial silly songs of what life could be as a famous rapper, and then Kanye coming into his own. This is what Kanye had to say in an interview. Quote, The name of my album is called The College Dropout. All that's saying is make your own decisions. Don't let society tell you this is what you have to do. Society told me, man, don't move from Chicago. People told me to stay in school. Kanye discourages the idea that there's a set path that all should follow. The 15th track on the album, School Spirit, really sums up Kanye's story of getting out of that well-traveled path to success and finding his own. The first verse is Kanye rapping about why he quit college. Told him I finished school and I started my own business. They say, oh, you graduated? No, I decided I was finished. Chasing y'all dreams and what you got planned? Now I spit it so hot you got tanned. In the second verse, Kanye aggressively boasts about how much better his life is now as a rapper, even referencing his car crash and how it must be destiny that he survived. Crack my head on the steering wheel and I ain't even dead. If I could go through all that and still be breathing, bitch, bend over, I'm here for a reason. School Spirit samples Aretha Franklin's Spirit in the Dark. Aretha gave Kanye clearance for the sample on the condition that the song didn't have any profanity, which is why the profanities are distorted, even on the explicit version of the album. Maybe why in the chorus, Kanye wrote, Oh, hecky nah, that boy is raw, instead of hell nah. The cover of College Dropout was Kanye's introduction to Dropout Bear, a teddy bear who became the visual symbol of Kanye through the growth of his celebrity and as an artist. It was genius in branding becoming what Mickey Mouse was for Walt Disney, a mascot that carried the weight of all what the artist implied. What's different about the bear was that Kanye made it a mirror of himself. Looking downtrodden and almost skeptical on the cover of College Dropout, it was like Kanye, underestimated but determined to succeed, an outsider in the mainstream but ahead in his own class, as he mentioned in an interview, saying, quote, you usually see mascots jumping up and down all hyped up, so you see a mascot all soft. You don't ever see that like that. It's like, I'm finished with this. I'm through with this. And then I put the angels on here because even before the accident, but especially after the accident, I said in a song, I felt like I must have an angel. As Kanye says, the album cover features angels and other designs acting like a picture frame or border around the dropout bear sitting all alone in the school gym bleachers. When Kanye quit college at the age of 20, it really upset his mother at the time, who was a professor at the same university. She later commented that she eventually got over it, saying, quote, It was drummed into my head that college is the ticket to a good life, but some career goals don't require college. For Kanye to make an album called College Dropout, it was more about having the guts to embrace who you are rather than following the path society has carved out for you. And on the third track off College Dropout, Graduation Day, 
Kanye wrote with a much more clear state of mind than in school spirit. It's at the end of the skit where it breaks into a melody sung by John Legend. It dramatizes the fake album narrative that Kanye was kicked out of college for getting kids to sing about drugs and we don't care, but the words apply to Kanye's state of mind when he did quit college in real life. John Legend sings, I'm no longer confused, but don't tell anybody. I'm about to break the rules, but don't tell anybody. I got something better than school, so don't tell anybody. My mama would kill me, so don't tell anybody. She wants me to get a good-ass job, just like everybody. She ain't walked in my shoes. I'm just not everybody. Kanye isn't confused anymore. He knows the path he wants to pursue in life, his music. But he's very shy and insecure about it, therefore, he doesn't want anybody to know. Through the Wire was Kanye's first taste of attention in the mainstream, released late September of 2003, well ahead of the album's release. Kanye now needed to prove it wasn't a fluke and come up with a follow-up single. By this time, most of College Dropout had been finished, and there was one night in the studio where Jay-Z was listening to what had been recorded up to that point. For some reason, he took notice of a song called Slow Jams, featuring Twista and Jamie Foxx. He told Twista and Kanye that day that that should be the first single for both of y'all. It's those outside opinions from a guy as respected as Jay-Z is that's really invaluable. Slow Jams wasn't the first single, obviously, but would be the second, released December 2nd, 2003. In an interview, Kanye talked about the little fame he had at the time with Through the Wire and how he could see Slow Jams and one funny little simple line in the song propelling him to new heights, saying, quote, I was on an escalator and I remember saying, breathe in this moment, because this will be the last moment I can be out in public. Because I had written this line, she got a light-skinned friend that looked like Michael Jackson, got a dark-skinned friend that looked like Michael Jackson. And I knew after that, I wouldn't be able to walk the streets for the rest of my life. I was like, I will be famous after this line. Slow Jams is probably the smoothest and most melodic track on the album, sampling Luther Vandross's 1981 cover, A House Is Not A Home, through Kanye's signature sped-up chipmunk sound. Jamie Foxx does a little intro-speaking part of the song and really explains the whole motif behind it, how artists don't put enough emphasis on their female listeners, how through Jamie's experience, girls want slower and sexier songs. The chorus references old soul and R&B artists who did put an emphasis on that side of their music with She said she wants some Marvin Gaye, some Luther Vandross, a little Anita will definitely set this party off right. She said she wants some Ready for the World, some New Edition, some Mini Ripperton will definitely set this party off right. Jamie Foxx has talked about it in a number of interviews, but it was actually at one of his parties he hosted where he met Kanye for the first time and asked him to be on Slow Jams. Jamie describes it as this unknown guy came up to him, a backpack on and his jaw a little swollen, and asked Jamie if he could sing on one of his songs. Jamie had always had the dream of making it as a musician on top of his already stellar acting and comedy career, so whenever musicians would come to his parties, he'd ask them to record something in his home studio. After the short interlude in the middle of the song, Twista comes in with probably the best feature on the album at a million miles a minute. It's a nice contrast to Kanye's rap style, and the slow and melodic style of the song up to that point. Twista follows suit to the theme of the song, rapping about seducing woman while playing old R&B. They reference everyone from Earth, Wind & Fire, The Whispers, The Spinners, Keith Sweat, to Teddy Pendergrass. 
Slow Jams, only the second single Kanye had ever put out, eventually went to number one on the Billboard Hot 100, actually on the same week College Dropout was released, February 10th, 2004. It received a nomination for Best Rap Sung Performance at the Grammys, and Q Magazine listed it as the 19th greatest hip-hop song of all time. Following the album narrative, the ending of College Dropout seemingly has Kanye with a clear mind, knowing exactly where he needs to focus attention to achieve his rap dreams. The second last track on the album, Family Business, introduces a family aspect into College Dropout that you don't see as much on the rest of the album. It's very gentle and leaves you with the impression that he holds his family near to his heart. At this point in his career, we didn't know that yet about Kanye, where we'd later see his tribute to his mom on Hey Mama, or on Ye about his daughter in Violent Crimes, or his wife Kim in Wouldn't Leave. Family Business is a sweet and sentimental song, highlighted with a unique piano melody throughout. It's another great example of the conscious rapper Kanye was, and how much he was going against the grain of rap predominantly about sex, drugs, women, and violence at the time. The tone of the song is immediately set from the start, where over the soft piano melody, Kanye is talking like he's having a conversation with his family, saying, How's your son? He made the team this year? Alright, they said he wasn't tall enough. That actually comes from when Kanye was in middle school. He said that he worked really hard and practiced all summer to make the basketball team, but he was cut, being told that he was too short. There's also this other overlay that continues throughout the entire song that talks about how all that glitters is not gold, hinting to the true meaning of the song. It's sampled from Funky Thing Diamond Ring by The Dells. It's Kanye going back to his material wealth narrative back near the start of the album with All Falls Down, how he values family relations much more than material possessions, because in the end, relationships will always be there for you to comfort you in your lowest times. Family Business then unfolds into a variety of heartwarming stories about family, describing everything from holidays to prison visits to their favorite foods. You can tell he's really trying to give you an inside look of what's important to him. All of the classic family business stuff we love and hate, including sharing embarrassing family photos or stories, getting food poisoning from family cooking even. All these stories are actually not Kanye's. They're singer Terry Torres, who you can hear throughout College Dropout and at the end of Family Business, singing They Don't Mean a Thing. Terry is the oldest of 48 grandkids on her mom's side and in the middle of 36 grandkids on her father's side. Kanye flavors his own experience in throughout the song, as we hear in the third verse, where it's kind of like Kanye has an epiphany. I woke up early this morning with a new state of mind, a creative way to rhyme without using knives and guns. Keep your nose out of the sky, keep your heart to God, and keep your face to the rising sun. It's a testament to the true values of Kanye West and the clear state of mind we see near the end of College Dropout. Also, the gospel choir at the end points back to his childhood musical inspirations and shows his affinity with R&B, soul, and gospel music. Although Kanye grew up in a quote-unquote broken home, living with his mom in Chicago and his dad away in Atlanta, Kanye remained close with both throughout his childhood. He'd spend his summers back in Atlanta with his dad and kept in touch throughout the school year back home in Chicago. His father, Ray West, came from a military family and joined the Black Panther Party in college and helped shape Kanye's view on the world. Him and his father would sit up late in the night sometimes and talk about a lot of societal issues. As Kanye grew up, he was always trying to find a way to express himself and to word them in a way for people to respond and accept it. In hindsight now, we've seen Kanye fly off the handle in his interviews where he's labeled as crazy or delusional, but if you really listen to the meat of what he's saying, 
It's almost like he's got too many deep thoughts going on, and he struggles to organize them in a way for the masses to digest it. That's where a medium like rap music comes in perfectly for a guy like Kanye. In an interview, Kanye's father talked about the deliberate way they would have deep conversations, saying, quote, His mother and I never talked to him as if he was a kid. We always talked to him like he was an adult, and he sometimes had to catch up to the language. I'm a storyteller. I talk in analogies. I've just sat back and been amazed at where he has taken it. In a different interview, Kanye talked about how he learned a lot of alternative, non-typical education from his mom and dad because both of them came from non-typical backgrounds, saying, quote, Both of my parents were educated and both of them were always telling me about the manipulation of the media. My mom had books she would read to me. My bedtime stories dealt with things like the nose being knocked off the sphinx. This is the type of bedtime story I would hear when I was in fifth grade. Of course, my father is also educated, Christian, once a black panther, a militant black. He understood what it meant to be discriminated against because he was black. He also understood what it meant to be discriminated against by black people because he talked white. He was very keen and sensitive to this at all times. In a song like Never Let Me Down, the eighth track on College Dropout, Kanye raps about the influence his parents had on him and how it shaped his opinions on race relations in the U.S. It samples Maybe It's The Power of Love by Blackjack, with a chipmunk soul hook opening the song with the lyrics, When it comes to being true, at least true to me, one thing I've found, one thing I've found, oh no, you'll never let me down. It sets the tone for what this song is all about, being true and being honest with yourself. Jay-Z has a verse and talks about delivering his music to people from day one and being true to who he was at all times. Spoken word poet Jay Ivey closes with a powerful piece about being true to a higher power, or if you're not religious, to humanity. And with Kanye, he talks about how the people around him made him what he is and how he wants to be true to those ideals they gave him. Kanye thanks his grandparents for making his mother and him for who they are, and for being his guardian angels, they will never let him down. He references an incident when his mother was a child, getting arrested as part of a civil rights protest in Oklahoma during the 60s. I get down for my grandfather who took my mama, made her sit in that seat where white folks ain't want us to eat. At the tender age of six, she was arrested for the sit-ins, and with that in my blood, I was born to be different. Jay-Z's verse is largely forgettable, rhyming about attaining status and power, while Kanye one-ups him with one on racism and meditation on death. By the way, there's a great clip on YouTube where it shows Kanye playing Never Let Me Down to Pharrell Williams in the studio. Pharrell just sits there with no emotion as Kanye does his verse in person while the background music plays. As soon as Kanye's winding down his verse, Pharrell bursts out of the chair and starts screaming with joy, clearly loving what Kanye was putting down. A large part of Never Let Me Down is religion, and it's another example of Kanye being self-conscious. He writes about his moral struggles in life and also thanks God for saving him after his car accident. He recounts other celebrity deaths, Lisa Left Eye Lopez in a car crash and Aaliyah in a plane crash, and how that easily could have been him. You sent tears from heaven when you seen my car get balled up, but I can't complain what the accident did to my left eye, because look what an accident did to left eye. First Aaliyah, now Romeo must die. I know I got angels watching me from the other side. Jay Ivey then offers words of spiritual upliftment, starting with a nod to one of the themes of the album, School. We are all here for a reason on a particular path. You don't need a curriculum to know that you're part of the math. Jay Ivey is talking about God for his verse, how in his efforts as an artist, 
He's just trying to spread the love of God to make the world a better place, suggesting that God speaks through him almost like he's a prophet. I'm not just another individual. My spirit is a part of this. That's why I get spiritual. But I get my hymns from him. So it's not me. It's he that's lyrical. I'm not a miracle. I'm a heaven-sent instrument. In 2011, Billboard listed Never Let Me Down as the second greatest collaboration between Kanye and Jay-Z, next to Diamonds from Sierra Leone. Never Let Me Down as the eighth track of the album kind of closes the first act of College Dropout. The act where Kanye is in full form as the conscious rapper he'd become famous for, rapping about issues that affect people living in poverty, of society in general, but doing it with a positive twist that you can achieve your dreams through ambition and being a good person about looking to heroes to follow the steps they took and apply them to your own life. And as we've seen lately with Kanye's career path and the direction he was going at the time of college dropout, there has been no bigger hero to him than Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 reads, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The statement here is shortened to the point. You could be the most immoral, perverse human or completely righteous, at the end of the day, none of us hold up to God's perfect standard of being sinless. It's the theme that runs a line through the song that made Kanye an international superstar, and maybe the song that could sum up Kanye perfectly, having every little flavor that made him so popular with College Dropout. You've got to look into the plight of African Americans and racism. You've got religion. You've got humor. You've got a self-consciousness that says no one's perfect. Why not forgive each other? It's the song that precedes Never Let Me Down, Jesus walks. As I've mentioned before, part of Kanye's appeal is his belief that the root of all conflict is internal, that we need to look to ourselves before judging others. Jesus walks opens with a drill sergeant spouting orders to his troops and the troops' response. We're entered into the song with this military opening, which Kanye then declares us all to be a part of with his opening spoken words. We at war, we at war with terrorism, racism, but most of all, we at war with ourselves. The background of Jesus Walks gives you this theme of war with the martial-themed beat, almost like it's time to the cadence of a military march, but on top of that is chain gang backing chants. It inserts a theme of race, the history of chain gang singing going back to before the American Civil War, where African-American slaves were tied up and chained together while performing hard labor. And then add to those elements, Jesus Walks inserts the theme of religion with a variety of gospel choir arrangements, sometimes layered on top of each other. So in the start of the song, Kanye has submitted war, race, and religion into her subconscious without even saying a word yet. As Kanye delivers his first lines in the first verse, he chooses the issue of race as his starting point. He makes the analogy that the middle states of the U.S. is where we see these issues between black and white the most. You know what the Midwest is? Young and restless. Where restless N-words might snatch your necklace. And next these N-words might jack your Lexus. Further down the verse, Kanye responds to his earlier line admitting that black people are committing a lot of crime, but also drawing attention to the fact that police have a history of stepping out of line using aggressive interrogation techniques to get them to admit crimes they didn't do. Kanye also proves he never loses his sense of humor, referencing the Adam Sandler movie Happy Gilmore, giving a song so full of seriousness some relief. Getting choked by detectives, yeah, yeah, now check the method. 
they'd be asking us questions, harass and arrest us, saying, we eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast, huh? Y'all eat pieces of shit? What's the basis? Even though race ties into the message of what Kanye is trying to portray, religion, of course, is the main theme. But not just in a simple pro-Christian Jesus is good thing. Behind the main topic of religion is a line that draws through every song on College Dropout, Kanye's self-consciousness. In Jesus Walks, Kanye is admitting his sin of the lure to the bad things in life, like selling drugs, for example, where even in this portion of the song, it's like he momentarily justifies his sins with, we ain't going nowhere but got suits and cases, a trunk full of coke, rental car from Avis. My mama used to say only Jesus can save us. Well, mama, I know I act a fool, but I'll be gone till November. I got packs to move. Kanye also ties in a Bible reference to his hometown of Chicago. I walk through the valley of the shy where the death is. The line from the Bible is from the book of Psalms. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Kanye's references to the extremely high rates of murder and gun violence in Chicago that's been there for such a long time that it's become a place where death is always around. In the second verse, Kanye switches gears a little bit. He's just as powerful and aggressive in his delivery, but compared to the first verse, he's empathetic in his message. He reminds people of what Jesus stood for in the Bible, that he didn't just interact with the righteous, in fact, just the opposite. To the hustlers, killers, murderers, drug dealers, even the strippers, Jesus walks for them. To the victims of welfare feel we living in hell here, hell yeah, Jesus walks for them. Co-author of the song Chase Smith said in an interview that he expressed doubts to Kanye about this part of the song's message, specifically this line, saying, quote, I said, wait, it doesn't matter what you do at all. Don't we need to take a stand? And Kanye said, it's about imperfection. Everybody can relate to that. Damn if he wasn't right. The brilliance of the song is that through all of this talk of religion, it's never Kanye ramming Christianity down our throats, saying we need to be Christian to be good in the world. He's not proselytizing or evangelizing. It's just Kanye being his ever self-conscious self, saying he's struggled, he's needed help, and he's found it through religion. I ain't here to argue about his facial features or here to convert atheists into believers. I'm just trying to say the way school need teachers, the way Kathy Lee needed Regis, that's the way I need Jesus. Nearing the end now, Kanye starts to rap about his own career. He references the struggles he's had up to this point, trying to establish himself as a rapper and getting record labels to take him seriously. If you remember that story from rapper Hot Carl where they were in a meeting with A&R reps at a label and Kanye stood up on the table and rapped for everyone only to be mocked at and laughed at as soon as he stepped out of the room, well, it was Jesus Walks that he performed. I wonder who had the last laugh there. Ironic how it was Jesus Walks that got him all this critical attention and praise. It's interesting to note that if you look on the liner notes of the album, Jesus Walks is actually credited to Kanye and Rhymefest. Rhymefest grew up in Chicago with Kanye and was the one who actually came up with the concept of the song, the Walk With Me sample by the ARC Choir and the Curtis Mayfield sample. He wrote the Jesus Walks hook as well as a whole other couple of verses, but Kanye elected to only use the first verse it then took Kanye six months to write the second verse. And so to end off the second verse and the song as a whole, Kanye talks about himself and his career for the first time. Remember, this was back in 2002 before Kanye had a record contract as a rapper. He was sitting on this for two years before it was released. And all of Kanye's confidence in himself comes out, writing, 
So here go my single dog, radio needs this. Imagine not even having a record contract and writing that line. And then he follows it up by calling out the record business and radio, the hypocrisy in them to promote music about guys killing each other and women shaking their asses, but the subject of religion and God off limits. They say you can rap about anything except for Jesus. That means guns, sex, lies, videotape. But if I talk about God, my record won't get played, huh? Kanye later admitted that calling out the record industry and mainstream radio was a form of reverse psychology that would make them more inclined to play the song. It was a way of calling out people who didn't want to play it without pointing any fingers at anybody. It's easy to not think twice about how huge this song was and its impact, but I think it's important to remember that on paper, how ridiculous it was for Kanye to prophesize Jesus Walks as a club hit. But Kanye went that bold even before he had a record deal, so bold he even put it in to end the last verse. Well, if this take away from my spins, which will probably take away from my ends, then I hope this take away from my sins. And bring the day that I'm dreaming about, next time I'm in the club, everybody's screaming out. On Jesus Walks, Kanye proclaims his devotion to Jesus as seriously as the most devotional hymn singer would, while making religion sound cool. You can't help but be sucked into this song through Kanye's vulnerability and how he illustrates the way he falls in and out of a good path. There's that tension throughout the song between the bad temptations of life versus elevating yourself in biblical terms. Leviticus chapter 26 verse 12 reads, And I will walk among you, and will be your God, and ye shall be my people. Kanye is admitting to his sins, but he has this deep desire for Jesus to walk with him, to guide him through that struggle in his life. He's saying with Jesus by his side that he will be able to overcome the various dangers and temptations that life throws his way. Of course, the video only added extra dimensions and added to the brilliance of the song. The way it played out, though, just goes to show you the passion project Jesus Walks was for Kanye. There was a total of three different videos made, with the second and third financed by Kanye out of his own pocket. The second one is the most famous, and the one got played on MTV the most. The core concept was to take various deplorable characters and merge them with biblical iconography in order to convey the message that God is with them. It features Kanye rapping in a hallway filled with hellish flames and angelic light, in conjunction with footage of drug traffickers being pursued through a desert by police, prison camp inmates battling with guards, and a Ku Klux Klansman. Kanye talked about it in an interview, saying, quote, The prisoner is in the image of Christ, the drug dealer is saved when the cocaine turns to doves, and at the end, the clan member is chopping the tree. And he did so much to represent his hate, and at the end, you see God blows the cross over. And he wants to express it so much, he goes and he picks up the burning cross, and still, God spares his life. He makes it rain, which is a form of baptism. What's it saying? It's saying Jesus walks with everybody, no matter how bad you think they are. Jesus Walks was released on May 25th, 2004, as the fourth single from College Dropout, peaking at number 11 on the Billboard Hot 100 and becoming Kanye's fourth consecutive top 20 hit in the United States. It would go on to win a Grammy for Rap Song of the Year, while being nominated for Song of the Year as well. Rolling Stone magazine named the song number 19 on their list of the 100 best songs of the 2000s, and later placed it at number 273, on its 2010 list of 500 greatest songs of all time. In her book, Kanye's mother Donda recalled an instance where over 300 kids gave their lives to Christ the night Kanye performed the song at a youth revival center. 
Daryl McDaniels of Run DMC told Time Magazine that he had grown indifferent towards contemporary rap music and ceased listening to it until he heard Jesus Walks. Kanye later said that when his father heard the song, he said that maybe he missed his calling, to which Kanye replied, No, maybe this is my calling. I reach more people than any one pastor can. Maybe at the end of the day, all Kanye wanted to do with College Dropout was establish himself as a rapper, but the album ended up expanding the musical and emotional language of hip-hop as a whole. Claiming to be the first N-word with a Benz in a backpack, he challenged all the rules and boldly danced across boundaries others were too afraid to even acknowledge. College Dropout picked up where Dr. Dre's chronic left off, turning street knowledge into something much more enlightened suggesting young black males had a chance to make it out of the street. He wasn't speaking for the well-established hustler-to-hip-hop CEO generation as much as he was the hustler who would never make it to that level. He offered a voice for both the possibilities and struggles that come with the transition from the street to the classroom. That new relatability hadn't been seen in hip-hop before and set the stage for a new generation. He built a bond with his fans by making them feel like he wasn't above them. College Dropout was everything Kanye said it would be and more, but it spoke to so many different people all across the world. I didn't even talk about songs like Two Words or Get Em High, two songs that sound like they still could have easily fit on a gangster gorilla style G-Unit record, as much as it fits next to songs like Never Let Me Down and School Spirit. A young man who told an underground story of reaching independence, achieving his creative aspirations, and speaking for the common man was what hip-hop needed. But at the same time, you got a brazenly confident man who loved fashion, loved spending money, and loved women. A few years after its release, Kanye's cousin, Devo Springsteen, reflected on the album's impact in an interview, saying, quote, There's pre- and post-college dropout. Hip-hop is often equated to rap music, and there are a few kind of tribes within that demographic. You're a gangster, a baller, a backpacker, or you're a seller. If you're going to rap, which of the lanes are you coming from? I think with Kanye, his approach brought in different types of influences away from these categories. I can be from the suburbs, Midwest, I can wear polo shirts, and I am still hip-hop. As long as you're honest about yourself, you're hip-hop. As the saying goes, you have your whole life to write your first record and six months to write your second. It felt like Kanye had been working on his debut album forever. It was a life's goal, finally come to fruition. College Dropout was released February 10th, 2004, and would debut at number two on the US Billboard 200. It scanned 441,000 copies in its first week and went double platinum within the first four months of its release. It was finally vindication for Kanye's passion project. The album earned him 10 Grammy nominations in 2005, including for Album of the Year, eventually winning him Best Rap Album and Best Rap Song for Jesus Walks. Four of the five singles released became top 20 chart hits, Through the Wire, Slow Jams, All Falls Down, and Jesus Walks, with only the new workout plan falling short. By June 2014, College Dropout had become Kanye's best-selling album in the U.S., Rolling Stone ranked it number 74 on their list of 500 greatest albums of all time in 2020, and it has since sold more than 4 million copies worldwide. Its impact surprised everybody, including Kanye himself, saying in an interview, quote, When I got finished with it, I was like, damn, this is good. 
Maybe I messed up. Maybe I shouldn't have made it this good. I should have given myself some room to grow. I'll drive myself crazy because I'm a perfectionist because my pain is your pleasure, my obsessive compulsive disorder. Some people say that I'm anal, but at the end of the day, that is the reason Jesus walks as a hundred tracks of strings that play for seven seconds in a song. The eye for detail can drive a person insane. College Dropout was an album that featured every aspect of his personality. All of the duality and contradictions he was talking about, as well as social messages, were mixed into a soulful blend of hip-hop that was a breath of fresh air. Even the bloated track list with the skits, trivial songs like the new workout plan, and the 12-minute autobiographical monologue in Last Call that closes the album. Every single one of these songs comes off like a genuine extension of Kanye's personality and experiences. On the 10-year anniversary of the release of The College Dropout, Kanye took to Twitter to release some heartfelt words about the album, saying, quote, 10 years ago today, we finally released what had been my life's work up until that point, The College Dropout. I say finally because it was a long road, a constant struggle, and a true labor of love to not only convince my peers in the public that I could be an artist, but to actually get the art out for the world to hear. Ambition is the key word for college dropout. Kanye is saying if you work hard enough, you can achieve your dreams. Like Kanye's dream of working with Jay-Z one day. Like Kanye's dream of being respected as a rapper. It wasn't easy, but maybe it was because of his near-death experience in the car accident that he had this newfound perspective on life. College dropout was Kanye's second chance. He was on borrowed time after he saw how fleeting life could be. College Dropout was his healing process, his rehabilitation album. As he says in Through the Wire, I'm a champion, so I turn tragedy to triumph. Make music that's fire, spit my soul through the wire. thanks for listening if you'd like to keep up to date with everything i got going on with this channel be sure to follow my instagram page also i do have a youtube channel where i condense individual stories from my podcast into short video form so please like and subscribe on there as well thanks again